about ministering to the Lord, a ministry that is on the verge of becoming extinct, but I pray and I wish that you who are listening to this program will be encouraged and inspired to set about this doing this work of ministering to the Lord meeting the Lord's need, restoring the lost art of putting Jesus first, giving Jesus the preeminence in all things, even giving Jesus, I would say, the preeminence and the supremacy even at the expense of the work of the Lord. You know, often what we think is the Lord's work is really our work, it's not so much what God is doing as what we are doing in the name of God that does not, in fact, meet the Lord's need. It does not satisfy his heart. And, you know, the Scripture says that unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain that build it. And I'm just afraid that so much of what we undertake to do in the name of Jesus it's not actually being done for his glory or for his name or for his satisfaction. Instead, it meets our need or it makes us feel complete or it's something that we want to do and so we press forth and do it. And what I'm suggesting is before we can reach in and minister to one another, before we can reach out and disciple the nations, our primary place, our, our primary focus needs to be on ministering to the Lord. And I have tried to lay a foundation for you to show you why this is so important to learn how to minister to the Lord, how to serve God. How to, and not serving God by serving other people. We, like I said, to, to just go back and harp on this a little bit, we already know how to serve others. We already know how to minister to others in the name of Jesus. We know how to serve God by serving others. We don't know how to minister to the Lord and meet his need and how to ensure through our words, through our actions, through our thoughts, through our attitudes, and the way that we relate to the Lord and to one another. We are not doing a very good job of ensuring that the work of the Lord does not overshadow the Lord of the work. And this is simply something I'm sharing from you that is from my heart. It is something that the Lord has been dealing with me now for many years, and quite frankly, there is not that much material out there. Not that that not many people understand ministering to the Lord, and not many people actually teach others how to minister to God, what it means to meet the Lord's need. There's maybe, there's one book, two books, and one little booklet. Two books and one booklet that I have seen in the last 20 years 
that have even addressed this issue. And we wonder why things are in the state that they're in. It's because we are trying to reach in and reach out and do all of these mighty works in the name of Jesus, and we are just like the church in Ephesus. I know your works. I know your patience. I know you have labored diligently in my name. However, you have lost your first love. And I would suggest that our relationship with Jesus, our sitting at his feet and hearing his word, is more important than to be cumbered about much serving. We've already seen from Acts 13 how they minister to the Lord first and foremost, and out of that ministry to the Lord, then ministry to other people took place. But if you're not ministering to the Lord, it's only a matter of time when the church or the ministry or whatever it is that you are doing in his name begins to take its toll upon you. And you may be 10 miles wide, but only three inches deep. We need a depth. We need an entering into the secret place of the Most High God, and we need people who know how to minister to the Lord and how to meet His need. And I hope that by listening to this series of messages, you will be stirred up to consider this and see if the Lord is, in fact, quickening you to forsake the Martha mentality and to adopt a lifestyle of Mary, which is sitting at his feet and hearing his word. And I am not talking about becoming a monk or becoming a nun and and shutting yourself away from the rest of the world. Uh, In fact, when I completed the first message in this series, I just, I was so, (laughs) I, I was so rekindled and reconnected to the Lord's purpose and to the great joy of ministering to the Lord that I got my walking stick and I just headed out the door and and took a walk around the block and just spent a few minutes alone with the Lord, ministering to Him and blessing Him. It is part of a lifestyle. It is not a thing. It is not a method. It's not a new technique. I'm not going to give you a, a lot of rules and regulations for ministering to the Lord. I will give you principles, and I will give you some foundational information and a biblical basis upon which you can hopefully begin to see the importance and and the extreme blessing, not just getting blessed, but how you can be a blessing to the Lord. So as we pursue this, I, I hope that you'll keep an open mind, and I hope that what I share with you will be confirmation to what the Lord is already dealing with you um, in your own heart and in your own life. And the need is so great, and the, and the people are so few. You know, there are plenty of people to preach, plenty of people to conduct meetings, plenty of people to go witness, and Lots of works, lots of ministries, lots of churches, but very few people know how to minister to the Lord along the lines of Acts 13, 1 and 2. To minister to the Lord, to meet His need, to be, it, to be with Him, 
to sit at his feet and to hear his word. I'm not talking about a morning devotion. I'm not talking about uh, praying for five minutes before you go to sleep. I am talking about a lifestyle of reaching up, ministering to the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. See, who blesses the Lord? Who blesses God? Most people are looking to receive a blessing, and I want to teach you how to be a blessing to the Lord. Most people are looking at how they can get ministered to, and I want to teach you how to be a minister to God, first and foremost. Because if you're not doing it there, if you're not, if you haven't learned how to minister to Him, I really don't believe that that you can minister to other people with any kind of a, of authority or depth. I believe that ministering to the Lord is the basis for everything that we do when we are reaching in or reaching out, reaching up, ministering to Him first and foremost meeting his need. The Lord is looking and searching for those who will minister to him. The Lord is searching. He is looking. He's looking for two things, I think. First of all, it says that that the the good shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes out in search of the one lost sheep. So the Lord is, it says he is searching and seeking for those who are lost. So that's one thing that the Lord is doing. The other thing that the Lord is doing is he is searching and seeking for those who will minister to him, who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm already, I've already turned to John 4, and I would ask you to join me in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And I want to read verses 23 and 24 with you. John 4, 23 says this. Jesus, speaking here to the woman at the well, says, The hour comes, and now is, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And here's what I want you to see. For the Father seeks such to worship him. We we have this idea that that we are in control of this relationship that we come together at an appointed time and then we offer up praise and worship to the Lord. But I want you to see here that God himself is seeking people to worship him. He is looking for you. My point is the Father is searching for us even more diligently than we are searching for him. Now, if you be honest, most of the time when we are searching for God, it is our, we are responding to some need or some crisis or some thing that is going on in our life, and so we begin to seek the Lord. 
And I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying most of the time when we really get serious, when we really become intentional about seeking God, we are seeking him because we have some need in our life. David said, in my prosperity, I said, I will never be moved. In my prosperity, I said, I will never be moved. But see, when hard times come, that that is when we tend to gird up our loins, so to speak, and we begin to seek the Lord, and we seek Him early, and we seek Him often. And usually it is because we are in need of something, and we want the Lord to give us an answer or give us a breakthrough or solve our problem. And certainly uh, he does that, and that is part of it. But how often is it that we, that we seek the Lord in order to meet his need as opposed to trying to get our need or our crisis solved? Think about that. I mean, do you seek the Lord for the Lord's sake Or do you primarily seek the Lord for your sake? Or even if if you are someone who prays and intercedes for other people, do you primarily seek the Lord for other people's sake or for the Lord's sake? I think what we find in John 4, 23, is that there is a place in God that you can get to that doesn't revolve around seeking him to meet your own personal need. I have a need, and so I pray. And if it's really serious, then I'll fast. And if it's really bad, then I'll get other people to agree in prayer with me. And the sure, the Lord responds to that. He answers that prayer request, or he meets that need, and he supplies us with the thing that we are lacking, and so we rejoice and we go on. But how many people are actually responding to the Father who is searching us out to meet his need? And what does he need? He needs people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And again, it's, it's not he could create angels to do that for him. I'm not saying that the Lord is lacking in something and that he is incomplete without us. He is complete all by himself. But again, to go back to the first message in this series, when we are talking about a love relationship, although we may do without our spouses, we may do without our our parents, or we may do without our children, but we don't want to do without them. In one sense, we don't need them, in that if you are an adult, you can take care of yourself, you can be independent. But the whole point of love is you choose not to be independent of the other person. The one that you choose to have a relationship with, you create a void in your heart that only that other person can fill. You know, we've, we've heard uh, people, evangelists, Preachers talk about a void in man's heart that only God can fill. And they seek to fill it with other things, but only only God can fill that void in man's heart with himself, 
Well, I agree with that. But I want you to consider that perhaps, isn't it possible, since you were created to love him and to be loved by him, isn't it possible that there is a void in God's heart of love that can only be fulfilled by you? Otherwise, why would God seek to save those who are lost? Why would God search out for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth? So in in one sense, God is self-sufficient and doesn't need anything. In the other sense, God, because God is love, he seeks us out and he searches for us, I believe, much more diligently than we are searching for him. Because, you see, we, we seek the Lord to get our needs met. 99% of the time, let's just be honest. We seek the Lord to get our needs met. The Lord is seeking us for who we are because he loves us, because he wants a relationship with us. There's nothing we can give to him. <laughs> what can we give to him? He has everything. He has need of nothing. But he wants us. So the Lord is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, why is that an issue? Well, it, it's an issue because Jesus said, to the Pharisees and, and to those in the organized religion of, of his time, his day, you hypocrites, you draw near to me with your mouth and you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. See, that's the whole issue. You draw near to me with your mouth. You honor me with your lips. You, you, you give your your songs of praise, you you perform your sacrifices, you go through the motions of loving me, but your hearts are a million miles removed from me. You just don't love me. Now, since that is the case, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, as opposed to those who worship him, he says, in vain. In vain they do worship me. In vain they worship me and teach for doctrines the commandments of men. What is the problem? It's not that they don't have their words right. It's not that they don't have their song service down pat. It's not that they're not going through the motions. They honor me with their lips. They praise me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. So the Lord is looking for spirit and truth in us. He is seeking spirit and truth out of us. And it is a pure search that he is engaged upon, whereas ours often is impure because we are looking to get something out of it, whereas the Lord we can't give him anything except ourselves. He is looking to have a relationship with us, and that is a much higher level than what we typically are interested in. And that's why 99% 
of Christians are engaged in the things they are engaged in because there is some need that they need to have met. And we all have needs. I have just as many needs as you have. I probably have more because I'm a very needy person. However, there is freedom and there is liberty and there is great joy in forgetting about my needs and seeking after the Lord for who the Lord is and not just for what he has, not for what he can do, not for what he has done, not for what I want him to do, but to seek him for his own sake, to seek him for who he is and to respond to his seeking me out. He is seeking me out. He is seeking you out. And I believe He is searching for us even more diligently than we are searching for him. He is pursuing us constantly. He is pursuing us. This is illustrated for us again. If you would turn over to the book of Revelation one more time, this time to Revelation chapter 3. And I want us to look at something that is that is pretty pretty familiar in uh, Revelation chapter three and verse twenty. Typically, we will use this verse when we give an altar call to sinners, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that ex- except that you're taking it out of context and you're missing the import of what God is saying here. You're missing the significance of this picture. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. In other words, I will come in and I will have fellowship and communion with him. Now, what I want you to see here, again, following up on the thought that God is looking for you more diligently than you are looking for him, and his motives for seeking you out is not so that you can meet some some lack that he has because he is self-sufficient and he is all-sufficient and all-powerful. But he is seeking you out in order to have a, a relationship, a communion, a fellowship with you. Very similar to the fellowship and communion and relationship that he had with Adam in the first few chapters of Genesis. It says that God would come down in the cool of the day and he and Adam would enjoy communion and fellowship with one another there in the garden. Well, what we have is so much greater than what Adam had. We have an opportunity that far exceeds any opportunity for fellowship that Adam had. Because if you will recall, Adam had not eaten, he had not partaken of the tree of life. So he enjoyed communion with God on an external basis. God would come down and visit him, but God was not in him. Because had God been in him, he would not have, well, first of all, he wouldn't have eaten of the other tree. 
But you recall when, when Adam sinned, that God said we need to bar and guard and prevent the way to the tree of life, lest he eat of this fruit and live forever in this situation that he's in. See, the the tree of the uh, the tree of life is not compatible with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam chose the other tree, and when he did, he cut himself off from the tree of life. He had never eaten of that tree. But we have. All those who were in Christ Jesus have eaten of that tree of life. And therefore, what we find in Revelation 3.20 is that the Lord Jesus will come in. He says, I will come into him. I will come into him. Not I will just come visit with him like I did with Adam, like God did with Adam. But I will come into him and have fellowship with him. Tying into what he said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And that word abide, what does that mean? Abide, it means remain, remain. Just stay there. You are in me, I am in you, I will stay in you, and all you have to do is stay in me. Paul said, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Adam was never one spirit with God. He did not have access to the tree of life. However, we do. So Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup or have supper or have fellowship. It's talking about a, a fellowship, a communion that he desires to have with us. But what I want you to see here is the Lord is not inviting sinners to have that kind of fellowship with him. He has to go and seek them out. And yes, ultimately, he, he wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But here he is writing to his own lukewarm church there in Laodicea. He is standing at the door knocking and asking for those people to op- who will be willing to open the door and allow him to come in so that he may have fellowship with them. And what happens next, it will just blow your mind. In verse 21, to him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Powerful relationship fellowship, communion that the Lord is seeking. He wants to have fellowship and communion with us, with you. But so often we are seeking him for what we can get, for our little need to be met. And Paul said, let your request be made known unto God, and and you pray for daily bread, and and I understand all of that, and I'm not demeaning that or or (laughs) minimizing. I'm not saying that you don't do that. I am saying there is a higher place in the Lord, and it is a place that is based on love. It is based on who he is. It is not based on what he can do for you. And if you will learn to minister to the Lord and be satisfied with Jesus, just be content with him, you will find a lot of the things you think you need, you really don't need. 
And you will find a lot of the things you want, you no longer want, because you're satisfied with him. And the things that really and truly are needs in your life, if you will seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus says, all these things will be added unto you. And you spend less time with prayer requests and needs and wants and desires. And Christ becomes the object of your desire. And you learn how to minister to him and to meet his need. And as you do that, he reveals himself to you in such a profound way. The fellowship and the communion that you enjoy with him is so wonderful that really you don't pay a lot of attention to the things you know the, the things that you thought were really important the things that you really struggled in prayer over um they, they just kind of get forgotten they just kind of melt away just like the frost will melt off of the lawn at the higher the sun rises <laughs> and and the 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 things of this earth the song as the song says grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. You can spend your whole life trying to get needs met, but I'm I'm trying to show you a higher way, a higher level, a deeper level, a a more uh, fulfilling walk and relationship with the Lord. And, And I guarantee you this, you will always have needs in this life. You will always have problems. You will always have challenges. And the key here is to learn how to minister to the Lord so that you are not bogged down with needs and problems and challenges all of your life. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And if you will open the door and if you will respond to the Lord who is seeking you out and just Lay your needs, lay your requests, leave them all at the door and just enter into him and have fellowship with him. I guarantee you two things. Number one, you won't have as many needs as you think. You'll find that they are all being met. And number two, as the Lord becomes greater and bigger and more encompassing, as he becomes your focus and not your needs, you begin to forget about all your other needs. And even if those needs are not met, <laughs> you won't care. It won't make any difference to you because having him, you are satisfied. Having him, you are content. He is contentment. He is fulfillment. And we see that. But we also see in Revelation 3 that even Even those who are going about doing the work of the Lord and in the name of Jesus, it is quite possible that they have never even opened the door to this intimacy, to this fellowship and this communion that the Lord wants to have with them first and foremost. Before anything else, you are a disciple of Jesus so that you can be with him. So that you can be with him and then he might send you out to preach or he might send you out to start a ministry or he might send you out to save the world. But you are called first and foremost to be with him. Okay. Now, I've shared a few examples and I've told you how this has been something that in my own life has been very important. 
But I, I think it would help if we go through the Scripture and look at a few more examples and talk about some people who are noted in the Scriptures for their practice of ministering to the Lord. Examples of other people who minister to the Lord. Let's begin, first of all, in the Old Testament, First Samuel. If you'll turn with me to First Samuel. We're going to look at the prophet Samuel. And just in case there is someone listening to this that says, uh, this is all well and fine and good for people who are mature and people who are really deep with the Lord, but I'm not to that depth, and I'm, I don't know if this really applies to me or not. Well, First Samuel 3, 1, I want you to see something very profound here. It says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Now stop and think about this. The child Samuel, not the prophet Samuel, not the old man Samuel, but the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Samuel, as a child, ministered to the Lord. He knew how to minister to the Lord. Now, it's interesting here that Eli is the one who is the priest. Samuel is just a child. Yet Samuel is there in the tabernacle, and Eli is the priest. And you see that it is Samuel who is, in fact, ministering unto the Lord, and you find that Eli is old and fat and blind. And you see that, as we continue on in verse 1, the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Now, why is that? I want to ask you a question. Why is it that the word of the Lord was precious in those days and there was no open vision? What that means is God had essentially closed himself off from everyone. God had pretty much shut the door and he was not saying anything. There was no word of the Lord. The Lord was not speaking and the Lord was not revealing anything of himself. He was not revealing anything of his purpose. It says there was no open vision. But notice that did not stop Eli from continuing, and Eli's sons, from continuing to offer up the sacrifices and go through the motions of religion and go through the, the priestly duties and take advantage of the people. It You can read the story for yourself there in First Samuel how they were arrogant and they were uh, abusive and how Eli didn't do anything to stop them or control them. He just let things go. And so you can, you can see for yourself the condition there in First Samuel. And basically the Lord had removed himself. He had closed himself off. There was no word from the Lord. There was no revelation. It didn't prevent the religious duties from being carried out, but they were being carried out as vanity. It was all in vain. In vain they do worship me. 
They draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are, are far from me. Therefore, the word of the Lord was precious because God wasn't speaking. There was no open vision, no revealing of himself. And I think today we are in pretty much the same condition that they were in there in First Samuel. The priesthood continues on, as always. The organization continues. We continue to go through the motions of religion. We go through the motions of churchianity. We are, just like Martha, consumed and vexed and troubled with much serving. But no one ministers to the Lord, therefore no one hears from God and there is no revelation. The exception being the child Samuel, who ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And what do you what do you see? What do you see happening when Samuel is ministering to the Lord? Samuel is the only one as a child who is there to minister to God and to meet the Lord's need. And so what happens? Since the Father, who never changes, since the Father is searching for us even more diligently than we are searching for him, the Lord responds to Samuel. The Lord responds to the ministry that Samuel is offering to him. And the Lord begins to call out to Samuel, and, and Samuel doesn't even recognize to begin with that it is the Lord calling him. He thinks it's Eli that's calling him. And after, uh, you know, eventually Samuel, with Eli's help, figures out that it is the Lord who was calling him. And he responds, and the Lord begins to speak and to reveal and to share with Samuel a message of judgment on the house of Eli, on that system, that priesthood that Eli represented. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had shown him, but Eli uh, made him tell him. And the child Samuel ministered to the Lord, and guess who the Lord revealed himself to? Not to Eli not to the high priest, not to Eli's sons, but to the child who ministered to the Lord. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to have any revelation. You can't get it from a book. You can't get it off the Internet. It comes as a fruit, as a byproduct, as a result of ministering to the Lord and meeting His need. God just does not reveal Himself and give out words uh, just at in at random, just to be doing it, just to scatter a few words and revelations and prophecies and dreams and visions here and there. He reveals himself to those who seek him. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. He says, ask and you will receive. He says, seek and you will find. He says, knock and the door will be opened. The Lord is looking for those who will minister to him so that he can reveal himself to them. And you see here how a prophet is formed, how a prophet is made. You see here what God does to, to call someone into a prophetic ministry because we see in, in the beginning of 
1 Samuel chapter 3, we see the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord. And then we see in verse 20, as chapter 3 closes out, And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. Hallelujah. So you, you start out as a child and you end up as a prophet. And I see nothing else, I see nothing else in chapter 3 to indicate Samuel being qualified for this position of prophet other than he, he knew how to minister to the Lord as a child. You say, well, he wasn't old enough, he, he didn't have a mentor, no one anointed him with oil and laid hands on him. He was called by God to be a prophet because he knew how to minister to the Lord. And so the Lord responded to Samuel's ministry unto himself. In verse 21, it says, The Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now see, now just try to grasp what I'm saying here. In the beginning of 1 Samuel 3, there was no open vision there was no word from God. There was no revelation. By the end of chapter 30, we see the Lord is appearing again. The Lord is revealing himself, and the Lord is again speaking. And who is he revealing himself to? Who is he speaking to? The one who ministered to him. We want all this revelation. We want all this insight. We want all this spiritual wisdom and understanding. And you're not going to get it unless you learn how to minister to the Lord. Because I'm telling you, it is the fruit of a relationship, a fellowship, a communion with Him. That's it. There's no shortcut. There's no... There's no 10-step process. It is when you give him the preeminence and when you minister to him and you seek to restore Jesus into his rightful place, when you sit at his feet and you hear his word, when you understand that you were called first and foremost to be with him and to minister to him, when you lay aside your need and you become consumed and focused on what the Lord needs, when you begin to invest yourself in, a, in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord is going to reveal himself to you. The Lord is going to speak to you. The Lord is going to show you things like he showed Samuel. And... It doesn't matter if, if you're called to be a prophet or if you're called to be a pastor or if you're called to be an apostle or if you're just called to be a, a nondescript branch abiding in the vine. It is all the same. The Lord will reveal himself to those who respond to his seeking them out by worshiping him in spirit and in truth, by opening the door so that he may come into them and have communion and fellowship with them. And you don't have to be 80 years old to figure this out. Samuel did it as a child. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. 
It's only complicated and difficult when we try to fit it into what we are doing instead of laying aside our preconceived ideas and focusing on the Lord and what he wants and what his need is. But without that relationship, there can be no revelation. You will not get it from me. All you'll get is words. You will not get it from someone on television, radio, internet. You won't get it in a book. We're looking for all these other ways to get revelation and get wisdom and get understanding and get answers to our questions, but we're not taking time to minister to the Lord there in the secret place of the Most High God. Well, that's where the answers come from. Where where else do you think you're going to get them? They have to come from the Lord. Okay. So much for Samuel. Samuel is significant not only in the fact that he ministered to the Lord, but he also was the instrument God used to bring forth David and to anoint him as king and also as a as a prophet of God in his own right. David was quite different from Samuel, but David was a prophet as well, among other things. He was also a king. He was a prophet, it says in the book of Acts, that David was a prophet who saw the resurrection of Christ. That made him prophetic. Well, what was that based on? Well, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we'll see this. Now, we went through the process to begin with with Saul, and Saul... um, he got lifted up in pride, and so the Lord said, I've rejected him. And now in verse, let's look in verse 14 of First Samuel 13. First Samuel chapter 13, let's begin reading in 13. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for now... Would the Lord have established your kingdom upon Israel forever? But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Let's stop right there. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Now, does that describe you? I just want to ask you a question. Are you a man or a woman that is after the very heart of God? Or are you, like so many others, only interested in what the Lord can do for you? Only interested in getting your own self-serving need met? It's quite a distinction. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And I would suggest to you, just as we've been saying all along in this particular message... The Father is searching for us. He is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. He is knocking on the door saying, Will you let me in so that I can have fellowship with you? He reveals Himself to Samuel. The Lord is still looking. He is still searching. It says now He is is looking for a man after His own heart. Hallelujah. And 
my question is, has he found what he is looking for in you? Has he found it? Has he found in you someone who is after his own heart? Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1, The Lord said unto Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. <laughs> Hallelujah. You are called as a king and a priest unto the Lord. First and foremost, and God says, go to David. He is a shepherd according to outward appearance, but I have provided for me, for me, for my satisfaction to meet my need, to satisfy me, to glorify me. I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. And then in verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him, the brother of David, Eliab, who looked like he was the Lord's anointed. <laughs> According to Samuel, looking from outer appearance, looking at the outward appearance of things, it looked like Eliab was the man of the hour. He, he was the anointed. He was surely the Lord's anointed is before him, Samuel said to himself. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his outward appearance. Don't look at how tall he is or how charismatic he seems because I have refused him. Why? For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And what the Lord saw when he looked for a man after his own heart, he saw a man whose heart was inclined unto himself. And how do we know that? Because you look in the book of Psalms and you see how David ministered to the Lord. You know, it was David, not Chip, who first said, Bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, again, most of us have been trained. Now, don't get into condemnation here, but I'm just saying most of us have been trained in the Christian life to go and get the blessing from God. We ask God to bless the food that we eat. We ask God to bless our our meeting together. We ask God to bless our endeavors in his name. We ask God to bless our finances. David did something that was very revolutionary. And I think this goes right over the heads of, of most people in Christianity. David certainly sought for the blessing of God. I'm not saying you don't. But he also emphasized something that we have failed to emphasize. He said, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. 
and his praise will continually be in my mouth. I will magnify the Lord. See, we want the Lord to magnify us. We want the Lord to make us great. We want the Lord to bless us. David says, I will bless you. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I will bless him at all times. He, David knew how to minister to the Lord. In fact, he invented musical instruments with which to worship God and to minister to God in song. As a child, he's out there in the shepherds, as a shepherd in the fields, the, the, the sheep fields of Israel. And, you know, that, that job usually fell to the youngest in the family because it was a job that no one wanted. It would be the, the modern equivalent would be like taking out the trash. You know, no one wants to take out the trash. That is the most disgusting, dirty job to be done. No one wants to do it. In the same way, shepherding in Israel uh, was a job that had to be done, but it usually fell to the youngest person to do it. David, being no exception, he was the one that had to take care of these nasty, smelly sheep. He had to stay up all night when it was cold, when it was pouring rain. It was up to him to, to watch over the sheep, protect them, and basically babysit them 24 hours a day. So what did David do? Did he moan and groan and boo-hoo and gripe and complain about, oh, it's not fair? No, he took that opportunity to fellowship and commune with the Lord. And he composed psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and poems, and he ministered to the Lord there. Just as Samuel ministered to the Lord as a child in the same way David ministered to the Lord there. Not in the tabernacle, not in the temple, not ministering to everyone else, but he ministered to the Lord because there was no one else around to hear him. It was just him and the Lord and, the, and those sheep. <laughs> he ministered to God. And so what do you know? The Lord says, I'm looking for someone. I am looking for someone who is after my own heart. It says he's looking for him in verse 13. And in verse 16, it says that he has found him and here he is. And I am looking on his heart. I am not looking on his outward appearance. What set David apart? He knew how to minister to the Lord. He already had a relationship with God that was established before he ever got anointed, before he ever got selected, before God ever tapped him on the shoulder to be a king over Israel. He already had some history of ministering to the Lord as a young man, as a child. And it's, it's only later that he arises up out of obscurity and even after several more years, before he even gets to the throne, nevertheless, he has a relationship. He has a communion. He's got something going on between him and the Lord that is special to the Lord. And the Lord says, I, ha I have found someone. I have provided me a king among the sons of Jesse. And it's David. Why? 
because David knew how to minister to the Lord. And if you doubt that, just read through the book of Psalms and look at all of the all of the songs and the psalms that David wrote to minister to the Lord. And David prayed some prayer requests and David asked for blessing and protection and all kinds of things and if you were in David's shoes you you would too. <laughs> so I'm not saying if you minister to the Lord you'll never do anything else. I'm saying ministering to the Lord, reaching up is first and foremost. And David knew how to do both. And that is why God said, He's a man after my own heart. And that's what made him a king. And you, just like David, are called by God to be a king and a priest before him. The question is, have you learned how to minister to the Lord? Have you learned how to bless the Lord? Have you learned how to magnify him and to exalt him? And I'm not talking about do you know how to sing, do you know how to play an instrument. I am not talking about your skillfulness at doing worship as a thing. I am talking about a heart attitude that is responding to the Lord's seeking you out. It's clear that Samuel knew how to minister to the Lord. It's clear that David knew how to minister unto the Lord. Let's look at another example in the Gospel of Luke. Now we're going to go over to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we are introduced to a lady by the name of Anna in verse 36. And just to set the stage for you, Jesus is being brought into the temple to be presented. He is just a child. He is eight days old. And he is being presented in the temple, dedicated to the Lord. And there it says in verse 36 of Luke chapter 2, There was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. How old is that? I think that's 84. Which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She departed not from the temple, but served God and this, the same word could just as easily be inserted that says ministered to God. It's, it's the same word as in Acts 13.1. It, it's either exactly the same or it's within one or two letters. The point is she served the Lord. She ministered to the Lord. What was she doing? Well, she wasn't preaching. <laughs> she wasn't standing out on the temple steps and preaching a sermon. She wasn't allowed to do that because she was a woman. And in the organized religion of that day, women didn't have a very integral part to play. Um, the, the men did it all. But it says that she was a prophetess. What did she do? Did she prophesy? Did she say, thus saith the Lord? Did she lay hands on people? Did she hold prophetic meetings? No, it says all she did was she stayed in the temple and she ministered to the Lord with fasting and prayer night and day. 
we need in the body of Christ today, we need people, men and women like Anna, who understand that they are called first and foremost to minister to the Lord. And who will be about that work, that ministry of ministering to him, serving him day and night. Not by what they do, not by the messages they preach, not by the meetings that they conduct, but with their prayer and with their fasting when the Lord leads them, ministering to him day and night. That is ministering to the Lord. And that made her prophetic. When we think of prophetic, we're thinking someone who lays hands on people or someone who gives personal words of prophecy. But here it says that all she did was she ministered to the Lord with fasting and prayer. Now, she was 84 years old. I don't know how long she had been going about this ministry. But what we have is a wide range. We have a the child, Samuel, who is ministering to the Lord. And then we have a widow, 84 years old, who is ministering to the Lord. So don't tell me you're too young and don't tell me you're too old. You are called to be with Jesus. First and foremost, to be with him. We've already read in, um, in Mark 3.14, so I won't have you turn there again, but it says that he selected 12, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, to be with Jesus. That's what Anna was doing here. And isn't it interesting that while, with, with the exception of Simeon, who was also, I believe, ministering to the Lord, it says he was looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Ghost was on him and the Holy Ghost had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Well, what I want you to see is there is no revelation without a relationship. So Simeon had some kind of a relationship with the Lord. He was ministering to the Lord in his own way, as well as Anna. And while the rest of the world saw a baby there, Simeon saw the Lord's Christ. And then you look at Anna, and she's there ministering to the Lord day and night, never leaving the temple. But that put her in a very strategic and interesting place. In verse 38 of Luke 2, it says that Anna came in that instant, in that moment, and gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Why? Because she was ministering to the Lord. She was there, and she was able to see the Lord Jesus and recognize him, and then it says that she spoke of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. That was the substance of her prophetic ministry, but the whole thing was based on the fact she never left the temple, but she worshipped God, she served God, she ministered to the Lord day and night. Hallelujah. Now, you might not think that's very practical, but the Lord says it's prophetic. Whether it's practical in your eyes or not, 
the Lord says, the scripture says that she was a prophetess. Now, whether or not you are called into some kind of, of a prophetic ministry, I have no way of knowing. But what I am getting a, trying to get across to you is that whether or not you are a preacher or a prophet or a pastor or a pope, you are called, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, you are called to be with him first and foremost. And if you are a success at everything else in your life, but you are a failure at being with him, then I feel like your life is wasted. You just, you've just wasted your life. If you're successful at everything else, but you are a failure at being with him, ministering to the Lord, then you're, you're missing out on what you are called to be. What you are called to do will take care of itself, I have found out. But who you are called to be and who you are called to be with takes some focused intention. It's very easy to get off track and to go out and to do something. It would have been very easy for Anna to go take some meetings someplace or to go travel around or to write a book or to have a website. And I've done all of that. But the difference is, first and foremost, you need to learn and to know how to minister to God and how to meet His need, first and foremost. I've got another example for you in... Uh, in Luke, we're still in Luke, but go to chapter 8. Chapter 8. And we have here another picture of what it means to minister to the Lord and what it means to meet the Lord's need. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of Luke 8. And it came to pass afterward that Jesus went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Well, that's a good point. They were being with Jesus just like they were supposed to be. So far, so good. In verse 2, it says, And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of uh, Shusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which did what? Which ministered unto him of their substance. Now, I like this. And the, the point I want to bring out here is that Jesus is going throughout every city and village. He is preaching the good news. He is healing their sick. He is meeting their needs and ministering to them. And that's what the crowds are coming to see. They are coming to get a touch from him. They are coming to receive a healing, or they are coming to receive a word of teaching or a word of instruction, whatever the case may be. But there are certain women, and they name some of them, and they say many others, and they are not with the Lord primarily to receive from him. It says that they are following him, and they are ministering unto the Lord out of their substance. And what does that mean? Well, it means that they were taking care of Jesus' physical needs, cooking or, or whatever he needed. They were meeting his need as opposed to expecting him to meet their needs. Now, did he meet their needs? Yes. 
My point is that all of that crowd, that throng of humanity was there with their hands reached out trying to get from something from the Lord. They were there, and and the, it is the same today as it is then. The majority of people in this world, the majority of people in the church, they are not there to give, they are there to receive. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, but we haven't learned that yet. We still think the blessing is in the receiving. And so we go to church to be blessed. We meet with other Christians because we need fellowship. We need this. We need that. Everyone is there to receive. And I have discovered that in most meetings, two kinds of people are represented. There are those that are there to receive, which makes up the majority. And then there are those who are there to give, which makes up the minority. But even those who are giving and those who are receiving, very little of what is done is directed to the Lord or for the Lord. It is mostly the ministry of one anothering that has a place, but like I told you, I believe that place is and should be subservient. It should be secondary to reaching up. Before we minister to one another, before we reach out, before we reach in, We should be reaching up and ministering to the Lord. And that's exactly what they are doing, albeit they are doing it in a physical, natural, material way. It takes finances. It takes food. It takes certain material, physical things to live in this world. You can spiritualize it all you want to, but it still costs money to live, and it still costs money to uh, do to conduct yourself in this world. What we have here is a symbol or a type or an illustration of what it means to minister to the Lord because obviously Jesus is not with us in the flesh today. So it's not as if we can follow him around and give of our money, give of our food, give of our time to assist him in his physical earthly ministry. However, The Lord is still calling us to minister to him and to meet his need as his priests, as his spirit and truth worshipers. And whereas 99% of the population is interested in receiving from God, there is that small contingent of people who are following the Lord and are ministering to the Lord's need. And if that is not clear to you from this script, this passage I read, I I just hope that you'll pray about it, that you'll meditate on it until you see what I see here in this passage. I believe it's an illustration. All the crowds, all the people, they want bread and they they want, they want the demons cast out and they want the blind people to see. and, And especially in Luke, it says that the crowds just overwhelmed him so that they couldn't even eat and they couldn't even rest and they couldn't even make their way in public in some cases. For the press of the crowd, everyone has a need. Everyone has something that they are, you know, when they reach out, it's not to reach out to give, it's to reach out to take. And people haven't changed. People are basically still like that. But there is an elect, there is a remnant 
whose primary focus is on ministering to the Lord, not being ministered to. And that's the distinction that I'm trying to to make for you here. Ministering to the Lord. It may be helpful to share with you another illustration of a, a little girl who asked the question quite innocently one time, who prays for God? <laughs> who prays for God? And those around her said, well, what do, you, what do you mean, who prays for God? Why do you ask? What, what do you mean? Who prays for God? And she said, well, he has so much that he has to do. <laughs> oh, see, the Lord Jesus is there meeting our needs. He is always faithful. He supplies our needs. He ministers to us. He gives of, uh, he gives of himself. But are we giving of ourselves? Are we ministering to him? Are we serving him? Not in things that we do, but in who we are. Are we like the child Samuel who ministered to the Lord? Are we like David, a man after God's own heart? Are we like Anna, ministering to the Lord day and night? Are we like these women that followed the Lord around, ministering to his needs? ministering unto him of their substance. God is not asking a big thing of you. He only wants you to open the door and allow him to come in and have fellowship with you and have communion with you, to sup with you. Abide in me, he says, and I will abide in you and you will produce much fruit. And I would suggest to you that we're, we are so consumed and absorbed with trying to produce the fruit, trying to do the works of the Lord, and forgetting that all we need to do is just minister to Him, just abide in Him, just remain in Him. And if we will remain in Him, if we will abide in Him, and that's talking about relationship. If we will simply abide, live in Him, and let Him live in us, we will produce much fruit. And you do it by ministering to Him. You do it by making sure that His need is met first and foremost. And it does require a shift in your thinking. It does require you to really get into the Word of God and study these examples of Samuel and David and Anna and the twelve disciples and the church in Antioch. It is a blessing and it's waiting for you there.